So, you know, you had me at two weeks, unplug, and then you went with iguanas. And sharks. And sharks. <laughs> it kind of lost me there. But the idea of two weeks is um, singing to my ears. Hey, it's just the two of us. <laughs> we can make it if we try. It's just the two of us, Bridget. Just the two of us. Just the two of us. Building castles in the sky. Just the two of us. You and I. All right, so we are back with another Integrated Care podcast episode, and I'm going to be filling in for the wonderful Grace Pratt with the introduction. Uh, I definitely know I can't do her justice, but uh, I'm going to do the best that I can. Uh, we're holding it is- down for you, Grace. <laughs> we're holding it down. <laughs> and it's actually a really uh, fun episode. I think it's going to be a really, really fun episode because there's just two of us. So uh, Let me sing my song. You know, I got yeah. a song for everything. Just the two of us, we can make it if we try. It's just the two of us today. We got this. Yeah. So it's, it's uh, you know, longtime podcaster and myself, uh, Bridget Beachy, and I'm joined with the fantastic Monica Harrison. And like she said, like we said, yeah. it's just yeah. the two of us. It's just the two of us. And so our team, some of them are on sabbatical. Some of them are not feeling well. Some just on vacation. Bridget, we need to go on vacation soon. I, I got one coming. I got one coming. I have to think about that thing. We're only two weeks in the grind, but Grace is not feeling well. And so we're going to fill in and, and rock this thing out today for her. You know, that's actually a good icebreaker. Now that like kind of impromptu icebreaker right there about uh, the next vacation and the next trip that you have yeah. uh, coming up. I can't even say anything because I was in Ecuador for two weeks in April. Yeah, uh, that's and, right. No email, no whatever for two full weeks. Didn't work at all, which for anybody who knows me uh, knows that may have been a struggle, but I made it through and uh, got to spend a lot of time with uh, iguanas and fish and sharks and birds and the Galapagos Islands. So, you know, you had me at two weeks unplug, and then you went with iguanas and sharks and sharks. <laughs> It kind of lost me there, but the idea of two weeks is um, singing to my ears, uh, but I actually have two weeks coming up. Oh, uh, yeah. What do you got going on? Yeah. So I'll take a week going to the Dominican. It's a whole bunch of families going. Um, so kids, adults, a whole nine. So I'm looking forward to that. Some friends are having a vow renewal. So that's always um, super cute. Uh, so I'm going to do that for a week and then I'm taking a week, still going to unplug, but kind of doing some advocacy stuff that I haven't had a time to really um, dive into as much as I want to this year. So I'm taking a week to kind of get some things in gear and put a nice bow on some things um, in a more relaxed, uh, in a more relaxed week where I'm not on the grind. Will you uh, do that at home then, that following week? That following week, I'll actually be in D.C., Um, So I am a part of the National Association of Social Workers, um, the national board. So I'll be doing some stuff with them and kind of getting some things settled. So yeah, it's a little bit of work, but it's that that part that I like to do 
to just volunteer and give back to the profession and all of that stuff. So it's still, it doesn't feel like work. Right, right. I mean, and even my work doesn't always feel like work, but it doesn't true. feel like work, so. And you at least have the week in tropical paradise. Yes, unplugged. That's the key. That's oh. the key word, unplugged. Nice. Yeah. Seven straight days of unplugged? Unplugged. I'm not answering an email, a phone call. Unless it's from one of my older children. I'm not answering an email or a phone call. So, yeah. <laughs> I love it. Oh, my gosh. Well, that, And when does that start? That's very soon here? Yeah, in a couple of weeks. Okay. In a couple of weeks. So I think it's important, you know, as we're doing this work, even when it doesn't feel like work because we love it, right? Like mm -hmm. I, I hope most of the people who are listening to us are doing what they do because they love it. It's amazing to be doing something you love that it's work, but it doesn't feel, and I shouldn't even say feel, but you know, what, what you hear, the narrative you yeah. hear about work is like, oh my gosh, it's Monday. When is it going to be Friday? Like that situation. So it's great to be working in a profession and an organization where I don't feel that, but it's still important to unplug. unplug. There it is. Yeah. I think that was, that's the active ingredient yeah. is that unplugging uh, piece. Yeah. It's a, it's, it's a, it's a wild ride to unplug. Um, but in a good way. And I think it's a, it's actually, I think a learned skill it was something that, you know, I had carried probably a lot of preconceived, you know, unpacked that baggage from a blue collar upbringing mm -hmm. with, um, you know, not really growing up with, uh, you know, a ton of socioeconomic status. To go uh, on to, week long yeah, vacation. Yeah. 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 Unplugged the, or um, unpacked a lot in there about like that. This doesn't mean that you're lazy, that this is actually a part of, the sustainability of your career. This is actually, mm. you know, being able to unplug is more than just self-care. This is actually about giving your brain a chance to reset and come back with a different energy, possibly being able to look at things in a different way, perspective take. So it's actually, it's kind of like, um, you know, an athlete who, if they overtrain, it actually starts hurting their performance. And so many times the coaches have to get professional athletes to actually take that rest and say, look, that rest is a critical part of your training. There's the training part and there's the rest part. And if you're only doing the active training and not doing the rest, then you're not really doing the full on. Uh, and so that's how, you know, I was able to like work with it in my own head was understanding that, listen, like this isn't just about having a good, good time. Although added bonus, I do that. yeah. Added bonus, and there ain't nothing wrong with that. This is my own issues, clearly. It's just well, no, but listen, that's the 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 social and cultural context that we need to bring in when we're having conversations and dialogue with individuals, right? Because on the outside, someone could say, "Oh my gosh, she's always working. That's why she's so stressed out, and her blood pressure looks like that, right?" And so that's the narrative that we could create and go with without being in conversation with the individual for some of that social and cultural context that well for you growing up the messaging was that's lazy like that's being lazy um and I think that many of us have that in some way shape or form my family did go on some vacations but there was this um and and I work hard just like you were saying like I have to work hard to, to tell myself something different there's this <laughs> you have to work harder than the next person like you this person is is working at a level two guess what you need to be at a level eight like that kind of um mentality good good bad or indifferent right like not right, right, right. taking it because many of our um, parents and family did the best that they could at the time with the resources they had and the knowledge they had right 
but we all have these social constructs that kind of drive social and cultural contexts that kind of drive some of the reasons why we are the way we are. And I think we sometimes remember that for our patients and forget it for ourselves. Oh, and right. Sometimes there are people in the field who are not even considering what's the backdrop narrative that's happening for this patient and even more reason why you need to be in conversation with your patients. It's a beautiful, beautiful point, you know, because if you're looking at this from, if you were doing an intervention with somebody and if you just start throwing out advice and just like haphazardly of like, oh, well, you're doing working this many hours or you're doing this. So you're just doing things wrong and you need to just do like, you see that advice giving. And that's what I think is so dangerous about advice giving. You know, I always ask for permission before I give advice. Uh, first of all, I don't really do very much advice giving in my BHC role, but if I ever do and somebody is stuck it's always, I always ask for permission. And I, I remember learning about that motivational interviewing and finding that I was like, wow, that's, oh, that's awkward. But when you're living- It did seem really odd. Well, I remember this, thinking the same thing, like, yeah, I'm you get around permission. It? Like, aren't they coming to me? I'm asking them permission. Yeah, how did you <laughs> reconcile that in, in, your, in your head? Yeah, I, um, the more that I was intentional about practicing it, the more that I understood it, Mm. And, and understood that it just opens up for many patients, their autonomy to either say, no, I don't want to hear what you got to say, right? You're not always going to find many patients who are that, well, I'm take that back. And there's been quite a few patients who I feel like are very upfront with me, but, but giving them the space to know, okay, wait, I'm in control of this which might also make them go, okay, well, yeah, let me hear what you like, let me hear what you got to say. But the more that I was intentional about, about practicing it, the more I realized that advice giving was about me and not about, and not about them. Um, and so, yeah, I, so I'm kind of the same way. I don't, I don't do the advice giving. Um, I've had some colleagues who like, well, reality therapy, just give it to them like it is. And I'm like, yeah, but if people are not in a place to receive it, you actually could do more damage. So I'm gonna stay over here in this lane that I'm supposed to be in. And I use it often. I too don't give a lot of advice, but I do do a lot of miracle questions with patients. Yeah. Um, because I think that that causes them to get out of that space that they're in and think about, okay, where is it they want this to go? And then I can help be a facilitator guide for that versus a, well, why don't you just yeah. set your alarm? And then if you just set your alarm, then you could, you know, I just, does it, does it this is actually a beautiful, beautiful segue into what we had said that our main topic was going to be about today, which for many folks, again, depending on when you're listening to this, it is June 1st of the recording of yeah. 2023. And so that means that we have residents, family medicine residents and residents across the United States starting in mid-June. We have a lot of pre-doctoral interns that are starting in June and I think early July. And then, of course, as we know, across any profession, there's folks that are making that transition mm -hmm. from being student or practicum to kind of doing more of like, you know, big girl, big boy, Coming into the big field. person yeah. job now. And uh, we want to kind of talk about some like tips, some tricks, some lessons Now, this learned. is lessons learned. You can take go. it or leave it, but this is lessons learned. <laughs> about how to prep for moving into that role. And uh, I think that some of the things that you've already said, I think are, are good. And hopefully people could note about um, things that we, you and I have said already about that ownership and asking yourself, you're doing some of this work is 
especially as a clinician, right? Am I saying this? Is this more for me, or am I yeah. actually trying? Is am, am I in the social cultural context? Have I leaped into their world and operating from their lens to help guide them, or am I just coming from my perspective and then just being like, <laughs> "You came to see me. You tell me." Tell yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you know, so. Yeah, just kind of open up the conversation that way of yeah, like, yeah, lessons learned. Yeah, good. I think that it's um, you know, we're we're the helping profession, right? As they say. And so we want to help people. We want to know that we have helped people. And in doing that, I think that's the thing that sometimes um not in helping people, but the part where we want to know we help them. Um, that's the part where sometimes our goal and focus gets shifted off of the patient. We think it's on the patient, but it's really on us. You know, I think that even though we did our icebreaker and it all, it always works when we do our podcast, it always just fits together. You know, some of the lessons learned about going into or being new in the professional world, I've seen a lot of things, some that I'm not a fan of, um, but I also have to realize it's about the times, right? Like things things are shifting um, and I have to realize that as well. so I have adult children who oftentimes I'm like, you did what on the job? <laughs> like you did what? I would never. And I have to remember, I'm in that spot of how I grew up. You have to work harder than the next. You have to like be on the grind 24 seven, let's go. And some in this generation are, oh wait, this is not my cup of tea. Oh, I'm out. Like I, like, I will not be showing back up tomorrow. Thanks so much for the opportunity. And gone, and I'm going, what? You didn't give a notice? You didn't, right? It's a different era in time. And so I feel like I'm in between, like, okay, I got to understand things are changing. And the flip side of looking at that versus what you didn't give a notice is that people are no longer willing to be in situations where they are unhappy and they are putting themselves first. And for that, isn't that what we're like, we're teaching individuals to do? Like, What's that mix between, yes, you still have to be professional, but putting yourself first and not being in situations or doing things in a, in a job or a role that don't fit with your morality and your values, right? And that looks very different now than when I think about before you pick a job and you stay in the job for 60 years or however long you got to work until you retire, right? Right. So I see a lot, but I also have to deal with my own internal narrative that's happening for me. Um, so those of you who are in supervisor manager roles, get it, um, kind of get what I'm talking about. But you know, some of the things I feel like in terms of lessons learned first coming out to the field is definitely that be in conversation with the patient. I know that it is important to have some intentionality around what am I going to focus on? With, like I'm going into a room to see this patient. Let me see what's their history, what's going on to have some idea of what you're gonna do, but you still have to have this level of flexibility because you could get in there and hear that patient's narrative and it completely changed everything around. Right. Um, so I think when we go in with our plan and we have a plan and we need to stick to this plan, then it causes us to not be able to actually be present with the patient, hear what's going on and actually be that guide facilitator versus the, here's what you need to do. Let me just tell you what you need to do doing my best attempt at a grace impersonation. Uh, um, so from, from your perspective, it's kind of about helping 
newer folks get their sea legs with regards to trusting the process and knowing that, of course, it's good to have plans. It's good to be informed. It's good to be prepared. But at the end of the day, you have to trust the process with the patient. And that's essentially where we're aspiring to. We're not aspiring to get a star award for like, I gave the best advice today. We're, we're, you know, eventually like the goal is to be able to help the patient, but not to fill your own cup in that way, um, but to really be there for the patient. And the irony is when you really do come face to face with like, this is not, therapy is not about me, the therapeutic process, being a clinician or, you know, what have you, whatever specific part you are in this field um, of healthcare, that it's not about you. And you give that, you trust the process and that freedom then people do get better. And then you do like, I don't know, it's that irony of like, when you give up that control that like, you have to do this to make yourself feel better. And you just go all in on the patient. That actually is the best way to feel good as a clinician and not get, I mean, think it still about comes it. back around to you. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Think about, let me ask you this, Monica, about, you know, there's so much, well, I want to bring it back to what you're saying about finding out what people like to do. So how would you recommend people going about this? If, Say, for example, if you're a pre-doctor psychology intern, you have to meet the requirements for the next year. If you're a medical resident, um, depending on what program you're in, if you're in family medicine, it's three years. You have to meet the requirements three, for three years. How do they reconcile that with picking their own path of what success looks like and how much they want to work and what they're willing to do or not do, but then meeting the requirements that are at least in the short run or shorter run? Yeah, how, 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 yeah so start? I'm a little on the outside. So what are the requirements? Yeah. So there's a lot of, there's yeah, a lot there, of them. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of them. I mean, there's, it depends on obviously, you know, the context, but with regards to um, whether it's a pre-doctoral internship or medical residency, there's a certain amount of hours that you have to reach. Right. Uh, there's a certain amount of patient contact. You have to have supervision with a certain level, depending on the residency, they're going to have, you have to have this meeting, that meeting, you have to log these hours. So there's like an entire checklist of things that they have to do in order to graduate, certain rotations that they have to do. Gotcha. And so, you know, if somebody is newly licensed, they might go out into the field and say, you know what? I don't really want to work 45 hours, 50 hours a week. Well, I'm going to engineer my situation a different way. Yeah. But if you're starting your pre-doctoral internship and it requires 45 hours. And of course, for our um, medical residents, it's actually opposite. You're not allowed to work more than 80 hours. That's actually the biggest thing that they run into is like, it's hard to get their hours under 80 a week. I know it's very uh, intense. Yeah. Um, so like you have not nearly as much say. So again, yeah. Some of this stuff. Yeah. 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 So, so same. Um, and I actually was in a situation. So uh, social work is similar. You have to have so many hours and actually certain competencies you have to meet and your supervisor has to sign off and all of these things, all the things. I actually was in a situation where I initially was not um, doing 40 hour work week um, in order to get, and they kind of have it already figured out. Things have, of course changed over the years, but at the time I was in, they had it figured out how long you had to be working kind of full time, 40 hours a week before you could oh. then apply to get your full licensure because now you've met these hours requirements and things like that. So, you know, I was in this situation where um, at that time I wasn't thinking about choosing me. I was just in a different situation where I was not working 40 hours a week with clinical. So I was doing some other social work things, but not clinical. And so I had to be okay with the fact that that meant it was going to take me longer. Mm. 
Um, and at that time, if you took longer, you also ended up paying more. Oh. Just saying the system, right? And I knew that and it just was. I do think though that for many individuals just starting out, you know, you have the hours to meet, you know, you have to have the supervision, you know, you're trying to go somewhere where maybe the supervision is given to you, you're not having to pay for it, right? Like all of these things. Um, so you're probably going to hit the ground running. And there are those nuances that are still in your control, but you make the decision, are you going to hit the ground running with the 40 hours a week because this is what you need to do. And there are certain competencies that you need to make. So you need to be doing that. I actually think that that's okay, right? Like that's okay. To me, there's this balance because you can't go into the room with a patient and like, I'm gonna just wing it. Like I don't have any plan. I'm gonna just wing it. That's why I say you do, like you do need to have some intentionality Right. right. But you also need to, um, it's the delicate balance of having some intentionality, a plan. You know, I know that I'm going to work on my motivational interviewing skills with all the patients that I come in contact with, because maybe that's one of my competencies, so on and so forth. So that's my plan. When I get in there, something they might be in crisis. You know, I might not be using as much MI. Who's to say? But right. I think that's the that's the rub, as they sometimes say, is yes, you need to have some intentionality, somewhat of a structure, so you're not in there trying to wing it, and at the same time, flexible enough to know that you need to follow the patient's lead. Right. You shouldn't be pushing anything upon um, upon the patient. Understanding that there are lots of context, social context, cultural context that I may know nothing about and I'm not going to know if I'm not following the patient's lead and being in conversation with them. Yeah. So I guess it's a situation where it is all a, a balance and there isn't a right answer. So for folks that are going into a more like really structured situation, they would have to figure out if they're willing to accept that at the beginning, that this is what it, like, it's going to be. And then during those years of, you know, getting the check mark, um, for each of the things that you got to do, kind of considering, hey, is this what I want to do in my future? And then if you're doing actual clinical work, that's like a whole other. So I guess, yeah, it's a really, really, really big topic because, you know, having that flexibility in that plan with regards to like, okay, I'm going to go into my internship. I'm going to go into residency. I'm going to do all these things, but then am I okay with this? Is this how I want my life to be? Or maybe use that next one to three years to just to decide that once you get licensed and you're, you know, uh, an independent clinician, now that's when you're going to go and assert what you want to actually do. And then as far mm -hmm. as like during the actual clinical work, that's going to be an ongoing balance between how much autonomy does your supervisors and the people who are signing off on your stuff, how much are they giving you? Are you going to run into any ethical concerns if you're kind of getting guidance that doesn't feel right? I, I don't know. That's right. uh, <laughs> Well, and that's, I think, why, you know, oh I... I anyways, am in a component of uh, peer supervision, like that supervision shouldn't end once you've done, you know, once you've gotten your full credentialing, now all of a sudden you're fully licensed and you no longer have to have supervision, right? Like the rule is not there. Right. Um, and so to me, peer supervision, where you are still in connection with colleagues and having, you know, having conversations about some things that might be coming up for you as you're um, not sharing confidential information. So if you're in a place where it's a bunch of all, great. But if you're in a place where you're the solo person, like you need to be in peer supervision and connection with other people, um, to me, who are doing similar work. I always say that because the beauty about 
all of us um, who are in this field, some licensed, some not, but all of us who are in this field, the beauty of it is we have so many avenues we can go down in terms of the type of work we do, mm-hmm. even within integrated care, right? In terms of the population that we work with, there's so much going on. There are people who are focused on nephrology, cardiology, pediatrics, geriatrics, right? Like there's such a wide breadth of where we are seeing um, the field go that to me, if you need to be in connection with someone, it's good to be in connection with someone who's doing similar work because there are some nuances that um, that person's going to get because they're in the same work as you. But just at least having the peer supervision to me is really important because we should never feel like we've got it. Like, okay, we're here. We're just, we like, we have it. There's always something to learn. We we talk and talk and talk about team-based care, that we're all of these different um, disciplines on a team that we're bringing our lens and the beauty of that. Well, that's because we're always, we're all always learning and we should really be taking that as though we're all always learning. Um, yeah, so I just, I, I don't think you should end supervision. I think it should continue um, more as peer supervision because there are those things that you could bounce off of other people or feelings that are coming up for you that you might need to bounce off of other people um, just for some checks and balances. I think that's important as a new clinician. And then once you get fully licensed, it's still important to do. Right. So the, the string that I'm hearing in this is uh, really kind of getting to know yourself and setting up the context so that can, that can happen. So asking yourself, okay, what do I, what, what does success look like? And what does, how do I want to engineer uh my work schedule um what yeah what's my optimal work schedule in the future and again it might be a situation for a year you have to jump through hoops and then you you just know that once this is done and i'm licensed this is not something that i'm i'm gonna do but you have to kind of get right with your own self and then like we were saying earlier you have to get right with yourself about why you're even doing this work like what are your core values so you mentioned peer supervision as a good way of like getting that guidance. What other things would you recommend that people can do to get to know? I mean, how does one know what their core values are? How does one know how to engineer, like be on the lookout for what's what feels good and what feels right and what uh, matches their core values or I don't know. Yeah, it'd be nice if, if I had some nice pretty bow to put that on, but <laughs> I don't, <laughs> truth be told oftentimes say, I feel like I fell into integrated care. I'm so glad that I did, but that like, this was not my intent. Like, like I didn't even know it existed or that it was a thing. Right. And so one of the things though, that I am glad that I did do for many years, I did things in early childhood. Like it was my thing. It, you know, my undergrad was in that. um, So I was used to working with you know, children and families from that perspective. And one of the things that they were intentional about when there's all these hours and competencies and things we had to do, they were intentional about placing me places and experiences that I had not already had. And I was mad. I'm not going to lie to you. I was mad at them. Oh, I was mad at them. I was getting ready to say, um, I was getting ready to say the professor's name. Oh, I was mad. At I was really <laughs> mad at them because oh like I felt most comfortable working with children. Like that's just what I felt. And they were like, no, we're going to send you over here. Um, where you're going to work with elderly adults and you're going to, and I was like, what? I don't want that. Like, I didn't want that as the next experience I had to have, but I'm glad that I did because it was just the beginnings of me learning what I liked and what I did not like. 
what I was willing to do and what I wasn't willing to do, right? And there are, you know, when it comes to not just what you like and what you don't like, but really also to me, it, it comes down sometimes to your morals and values. Okay. Um, and knowing, I always say, I may not know where I want to work, but I know the population I'm not interested in working with, right? So I'm not going to put myself in a situation where I'm going to be working with this particular population that I know that I am like, can't, I have some real strong feelings around and like, it's going to rub up against my own morality and values. And then I'm not going to be doing what I'm supposed to be doing for that individual in front of me. So let me not put myself in a situation where that's going to be the prime population or you right. know, individuals that I have to work with. But I wouldn't have known that had I actually not been put in a situation where I had to work with them. You know what I'm like? Um, it's, it's the... That's you cruel. don't you don't know when you're first when you're first coming you're just like okay I need to maybe have my loans paid off I'm trying to make some I'm trying to make some money and not work for free I'm trying right like those are I'm trying to get some free supervision like sometimes those are the things that you're focused on and so you'll take whatever is out there um and then you start to learn as you go the things that are not a good fit for you for whatever the reasons are for that so it's an iterative process. So you have to have this, like, maybe let's say an open mind to experience different things and to just constantly reevaluate what is right for you, knowing that it could change, but it might not change. <laughs> oh my gosh. We I don't have great. a pretty boat. <laughs> she would, she, she, I feel like she would pretty bow that. I don't I have mean, a pretty bow. There's nuggets in that because I'm thinking about all of our our medical residents, some of them were absolutely like, I will not do OB or I don't want to do OMT or I don't want to do this and I don't want to do that. And they have the minimum requirements, like full circle, they have some minimum requirements. And some people actually fall in love with it. Some people fall further out of love with it and completely confirms. They're like, you know what? I didn't think I wanted to do that. It turns out I never want to do that ever again. Other people were like, I didn't think I wanted to do that. Now I fell in love with it. Other people were like, you know, it was lukewarm. Now I'm in love with it. Or they were lukewarm and they're like, absolutely not. Uh, so we, I, I mean, I think that you're illustrating some really good, you know, just throwing some of that stuff out there. of Like you don't quite know to keep an open mind, but at the end of the day, listen to your, you know, what feels right in your body. Like give, give yourself enough opening, open-minded to try things. Right. But if you're getting the same stimuli over and over and over and over again saying this isn't for me well now you feel more comfortable to say right. you know what this isn't for me but you gave it a shot and the same thing with our, our interns we got a couple of folks who came in with peds only and we do full spectrum for our mm -hmm. bhc's everyone in our bhc program does full spectrum medicine and some of them have fallen in love with adults or at least they said they'd be willing to do it about you know that maybe is not a as bad as you thought yeah that's yeah. what that's the thing that comes out. It's not as bad as you thought. I think it's, you know, when you're used to working with a certain population or you think you just want to work with this population, you create your own narratives around why you don't want to work with adults, or right? Like for whatever reason, you create that. And sometimes once you do it, you realize it's not, not as bad as you thought it was going to be. Yeah. But I also think that it takes lots. Um, it's important to do self-reflection. I, I really yep. do think it's important to do self-reflection because that also is going to help guide you. Um, you know, as you were talking, Bridget, I was thinking about um, some providers who I've worked with that I've been like, now, why are you like, you don't want to work with socioeconomic disadvantaged people? Well, why are you here? Because some of your wording is actually hurting people, right? Now, I don't always 
say it just like that because it depends on the moment and the role that I'm in at the time, how I bring that forth. Right. But, you know, that's like, to me, that sometimes says, well, you need to be self-reflective. And, you know, I think we probably have all engaged with individuals that, um, oh, what was the term? I think it used to be called cherry picking, where you mm. cherry pick the individuals um, that you want to oh. work with and then like ostracize everyone else, you know, depends on how you look at it, right? Because I'm not saying ostracize individuals, but if you're going to do harm oh, right. to the population of individuals, because it doesn't meet whatever your moral value, like for whatever reason, there's the rub and you aren't able to still be professional enough um, to still work with those individuals, have be in conversation, meet them where they are, like oh, you can't do that then you're going to be doing some harm to them. Um, yeah. And so I would rather you decide this is not the population I want to work with and go work somewhere else than continue to do harm to individuals. And I think that takes a high level of self-reflection. I mean, that is definitely uh, a common theme in this entire conversation that you and I are having is that self-reflection. I have another question that gets a little bit into some of the nuts and bolts of regarding uh, being able to execute some hoop jumping. And I, I, I hate saying that because I mean, like well, we hoop, you got to give the definition of hoop jumping. Yeah. Okay. So like, all right, we have our pre-doctoral internship and I think it's fantastic. I think it's a great, absolutely great training opportunity. It's actually, you know, how um, folks do things. Cause they're like, this is what I want to engineer this because this is what I wish I would have went through. Uh, like that's yeah. how Dave and I built our CHW internship, pre-doctoral internship is like, what would we have wanted you know, and taking into account yeah. literature and different opinions and people have gone through the program and we crafted it together to like have like this super program, in my opinion. And that being said, as great as I think it is, there are times you need this certain amount of numbers. You need this many reports. You need this. And so it can feel um, when you're, you know, as a, as a trainee. And of course, it's not even just us. There's requirements of APA. APA says you got to do this, this and this and this. Mm -hmm. So there is an element of hoop jumping and there's an element of like really deep, meaningful work that's going on. Nuts and bolts wise, what kind of skill set or what kind of things would you recommend to folks that are about to enter into that, whether it be a, a residency, whether it be an internship of some sort, to be able to be successful, like time management wise, time blocking, um, meditation, journaling, like what kind of things do, would you recommend people do? to get their mind right, that this is going to be drinking from a fire hose. There's going to be parts of it that you love. There's going to be parts of it that is merely jumping hoops, but you got, you, you have a goal and it's to get out on the other side to become licensed. Hopefully you have more than that as the goal, but how do you actually do it? How do you execute this? Man, the drinking from the fire hose. It did feel like that sometimes. I, so I had not heard that uh, when talking about this. So that is a new one for me. And I'm like, yeah, it did sometimes feel like that. Wow. Well, some of the stuff that you just mentioned, right? So, and that we've, as we've been talking, so I think time blocking for certain things because it is, uh, it can be very inundating and you're trying to do all of like, and sometimes multitasking is great. If you're a multitasker and you are like, no, I think I got this. You would be surprised at your multitasking is not going to be effective when the water is just funneling out from the, from the hose, right? So <laughs> time blocking is helpful, like scheduling time on your, okay, these, this hour, I'm going to focus in on this for this hour, leaving space in between for other things that might come up. 
Okay, and then these two hours, I'm gonna really just focus in on it. So sometimes you need to have that to have some attention focus and get things done. You also kind of have to, again, the beginning of this is self-reflection of what's mm. gonna work for you. And also you have to try some things and sometimes it's gonna work and sometimes it's not, right? Mm. Um, but I think time blocking, self-reflection, supervision, Oh my gosh, supervision. And I, you know, I, I have heard some individuals who can't stand supervision. I think it depends on the type of supervisor you got, in my opinion. But um, supervision, I think, is golden, whether that's through your, you know, the, the um, hoops that you have to jump through and you're doing it for that, or if you're having supervision within your organization that you work for, that you're meeting with your supervisor um, and having some one-on-one -on -one sessions. I think that that's really important. Let's see. So it's time blocking, self-reflection, um, supervision, trial continuing to do professional development. Ooh, professional development. Um, I think that that's really important because things are constantly changing in our in all professions, but in particular in ours, um, right. things are constantly changing. There's, you know, as you were mentioning, like, yeah, we have this program we put together, but we're also looking at the research and stuff that's coming out because that's shaping parts of your program that you've put together. Um, so I think it's the same thing for us in our um, practice with patients, whether clinical or not, our practice with patients, that there are best practices and techniques and evidence and other amazing things that are coming out that it's important to still get professional development and hear some of those things and what, what from those things can you then bring back and apply and put into practice um, where you are. So I think that's important. Self-care, you know, we, I think we, say it a lot and self-care could look like I was going to say what's it look going like going on vacation for 2 weeks which is some people think about self-care as like going on vacation for 2 weeks um you know you're going to go get a massage you're going to go so some people look at self-care as that self-care could also be saying no to things that don't fit on your plate so self-care could also look like making sure that you're okay and putting yourself first not in a selfish kind of way, right? So if you are um, doing things for yourself that harms other people, that's that's not, not a good look. Right. Um, but putting yourself and being able to say, you know, well, right now, here are all the things I have on my plate and I hear that you want this and I want to help you. What else are you willing to take off my plate so that I could do that? To a supervisor, if you feel like your plate is full, can you have that conversation? Or just to yourself, oh my gosh, I really want to do this advocacy work. But I have no place on my plate to do that. Okay, but I want to do this advocacy work, but I can't take these things off on my plate. What am I going to do? I'm going to take my vacation time that I earned, it's mine, to do this thing over here that I love. Mm. That's, that's me taking care of myself. So self-care can look very different. And it's not always those tangible things, I think, is what people usually think of. Like, yeah, I'm going to go hiking or every week I'm going to go for this two hour bike ride. And, and those things are great. If those things fill your bucket, those right. things are amazing. But just know that's not the only thing for self-care. Self-care is also telling yourself it's okay to take a vacation. I've earned this and it's okay. Self-reflection on what the narratives were for, for growing up and that that is, that is kind of sliding over here. Okay, but wait. No, it's okay. Like, it's okay for me to kind of replenish myself so I can continue doing this great work. That to me is self-care too. Yeah. And I, one of the things I've been really big on, and it's, it's seen all throughout different therapeutic modalities and leadership uh, trainings and all kinds of different, you see it in all kinds of different fields is like starting with the end in mind. 
Mm. You know, for those folks that are going off to a new adventure, thinking about like, so if this year was a success, say, you know, you're going to go only, you're going somewhere for only one year, you think, who knows, maybe their job open ups there. You don't know. Oh. Um, or, you know, residency for three years and say, okay, if this three-year residency was a success, what would that look like? And I think that it needs to go way beyond just uh, professional, as we're saying, whole person, right? What would my family relationships look like? What would my friendships look like? What would my relationships with my supervisors and faculty, what would my relationships be like with my uh, classmates? Um, what do I want for my health? Uh, you know, and kind of engineering, like re reverse engineering and looking backwards of like, starting with that end in mind, identifying what success is, and then kind of come back from that and say, yeah, like what strategy? I mean, heck, list out the strategies. Practicing saying no. Maybe you go to, maybe you go to therapy to find out some of your narrative. Maybe that, you do. Now you don't been, be like, don't be the therapist that doesn't like people going to therapy. Like, hey, maybe yeah. you do. Yeah, maybe you do. Maybe you go on a walk with your spouse. Maybe you buy a, a puppy and that's gonna, you know, cause you wanted to, you had a dog or whatever and then you didn't because you were moving and you decided well now I'm somewhere for three straight years and so I'm getting like yeah. I, I, no, I, I that love that I love that in that if it is for some people starting out they're gonna know right they're gonna know I want to do that, that, that some people are gonna know others you're like I don't know but I like I, this sounds interesting so I'm a dabble right <laughs> but I like it in either in either way what I love about it is to me it sounds like growth like from a, where do you want to be a year from now? What growth or where do you want to be in all aspects of your life? Yes. And to me, it's then a good barometer for when you're deciding the things you are going to do or the things you aren't going to do and all this, does it align with what this end goal is that you had for yourself? Like, does it align? And if it aligns, all right, it, it, like, it aligns. Let me figure out how to make this work. If it doesn't align, well, is this a situation where you say, you know, that sounds like a great opportunity. I'm going to have to pass on that right now. It's not something that's in my vision or, you know, doesn't align with where I see things going for myself. If you're in a situation to do that. Now, there's some things in a job you got to right. do. We told you you have to do it. Um, that's that hoop but, that we keep saying. <laughs> right. That's the that hoop. hoop. But, you know, but I would say, are you sure that hoop doesn't fit somewhere or what is that hoop is Ooh. there to teach you something? Are you sure it's not teaching you something about this growth? kind of end goal that you're looking for because it probably is oh man I, I don't oftentimes see even in the hoops that we have to jump through and the, and the things you know I don't like what we got to do what oh my gosh are you kidding I got 50 emails about doing the same task let me just get it done it probably is feeding some part of your long-term growth and you're just not realizing it so go on and talk through some self-reflection self or go on and talk to your supervisor <laughs> how aggravating it is to you and maybe they'll be able to tie to you well remember we talked about this is your long-term growth goal of where Man. you want to be in your life let me see if I can help you guide you to where it might fit man that's being humble that's practicing humility that's practicing self-reflection that's practicing having a good attitude and so you know like even I could feel in my body when I was calling it hoops like it just felt negative but when we were like no like this is a, a program that's engineered and yeah there might be some reasons that we don't understand why we do something but you never know when you're going to need it i think bringing a good attitude is right. part of self-care um, absolutely absolutely because you know it's that what do they say about you know is it glass half empty or, or glass half full 
it's going to be what you bring to it, right? So I cannot absolutely despise a task or something that I have to do, but how I get through it is going to be based on the attitude I bring to it, right? Um, oh, man. I mean, and so they're like, and they're, all of us, I feel like in our jobs sometimes have things that we just have to do. Like it might not, you know, I don't know, you might be the one in charge of payroll. I don't want to do no payroll, you know, whatever it is, right? But there, we all have these things that it's like, uh, I mean, it doesn't sound like the funnest thing, but okay, like you have to do it. What's the attitude and intention you bring to that? And if you can link that to a core value, like a core, core value of like, okay, I want to help people. I'm going to do that via running a program. I like 80% of what I do about running a program. 20% is absolute misery, but that 20% allows me to do the 80%, which allows me to help people. Now, when you're doing that 20% misery, maybe it's not as much misery as it is, you know, this is the cost of doing the 80% that I love, or this is the cost of, you know, being able to have this say. And so, yeah, it's how- some skill set. Right. So you mentioned the word humility, which I think, yes, there's some skill set in that, even in the things that we don't want to do. Yeah, there's some there's some skill set in that to be learned that nine times out of 10, you know, I'm thinking about it because you mentioned like this 20 percent, this 80. I remember being in managerial roles and um, I don't even want to call them managerial roles because I don't like the word of a manager. But yeah. leadership, I like leadership better. But I remember being in leadership roles and like, oh, the stuff with the clinicians and like helping them with growth and development. And you're like, yes, like give it to, like give it to me. And then the part where I have to go to these meetings and listen to y'all say the same stuff over and over again and feel like we're not getting anywhere. And da-da, this was my mindset and thinking at the time, right? Like I do not, another meeting, are you kidding me? Da-da. And then I was like, okay, well, I can't control some of that stuff, but what's the attitude I'm bringing in the meeting for us to not at least be having the same conversation over and over again, right? So then does that mean I become the person that maybe they hate when I raise my hand to go, so, you know, back in February 2nd, we were having this conversation and here's what we said we would do. Have we done that? Because we should really do that. Who's going to be the one to do that and maybe bring some accountability to the table so that there is some traction and some movement, Right. It just is how you, it's just how you look at oh, it. Oh man. It really is just how you look at it. This is, I wrote that down. I'm I'm stealing it. It's going <laughs> to be, it's going to be what you bring to it. If that is not, not that all of our other themes of today, the self-reflection and the intention and the, you know, making sure that you're not doing this for your like self in like, it's like a deficient way, but really that you're giving back type of way. And of all the things that we said today, all that I think is great and the self-care, all that's great. But it's going to be what you bring to it, I think, encompasses that intentionality. I think it encompasses everything that we're saying, like thinking yeah. about, I'm going on this journey. What does success look like? How do I get there? What Breaking it down in, hey, we're behaviorists. Break it down into behaviors. What would that look like if I was healthy? What would it look like if I had a good relationship with my partner? What actions would that take? Do I need to time block it? Do I hate time blocking and I'm able to do free flowing and it works for me and I've had success with that? Awesome. But whatever it is, you have to have some type of intentionality and it's going to be what you bring to it. Hey, that's, that, that's the tagline. Maybe we could get a t-shirt. That's the tagline. <laughs> I feel like we have ourselves an episode. Our lovely Deepu, we're going to kick it to you for the ending and closing. This is a poem from Kate Bowler. She is an author, professor, and an incurable optimist. 
She has a wonderful podcast named Everything Happens. If you get a chance, tune into it. This is a blessing for those who care about strangers. What a waste. That wasn't going to get you a nicer apartment. Bless those who give their health and service of patients who might not even deserve it. What if that patient took unnecessary risks or was selfish or was never going to say thank you? You could have been protecting yourself or, God forbid, sleeping through the night. Bless those who listen to long, winding stories from lonely hearts instead of rushing off to more interesting friends. You picked boredom or patience instead of the warmth of being known. That was your time and you're never going to get it back. Bless those who loved people who weren't grateful. The sick who endangered your health. The deeply boring who know you have things to do. Loving people can be the most meaningful thing in the world. But it can also be hard and scary and boring and disgusting or sad or anxiety-inducing with zero overtime. Thank you to all those who make these bad investments. Those acts of love that are not going to add up to success in the way that the world sees it. You, my darling, are the definition of love. This blessing was inspired by Kate's conversation with nurse and writer Christy Watson on the Everything Happens podcast. Thank you. Thanks, Deepu. Deepu always gives us good nuggets. I love it every single time, every single time. Well, I think we held it down. Uh, for our crew who wasn't able to be here today. Again, it was the two of us, but it is always an amazing time. Thanks everyone for joining our podcast and we will see you next time. See you next time.